It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody could ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. We'll punch you in the nose for 60 minutes with a relentless competitive attitude. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to Big Blue Kickoff Live right here on Giants.com and the Giants mobile app. John Schmelk and Lance Meadow with you. The phone number is 973-667-1960. I hope you were with us for the last hour taking in the press conferences from Giants president and CEO and co-owner John Mara and Giants general manager Dave Gettleman. Of course, Big Blue Kickoff Live is part of our Giants podcast network. It includes not just this program, which is live every weekday at noon, but also Giants Huddle and the Giants Rewind podcast, which are long-form interview podcasts. You can find all of them in the archives of them on Giants.com slash podcast on the Giants mobile app, or you can go to your favorite podcast platforms. Find the subscribe if you're an Apple podcast. Please give a five-star positive review. And again, our podcast network is presented by Investors Bank. Lance Meadow, good afternoon. How are you, sir? I'm doing very well. How about yourself? I'm doing great. And we just heard from uh, two of the big decision makers for the New York football giants, uh, President CEO Conor John Mara and General Manager Dave Gettleman. If you were listening, you heard Lance and I give our thumbnail impressions of what they said uh, in between the two press conferences and then briefly after Dave Gettleman. Uh, we won't do it for too long here since we already gave you some of our thoughts. We'll get to your calls as quickly as possible. I'm sure you have a lot of reaction to what those two gentlemen said in that 11 o'clock to 12 o'clock hour. Lance, so there's a few things here that I think are most important that we should focus on before we get to those calls I let's look ahead first before we look backwards because I really do think that's the most important thing in terms of big picture stuff for the Giants and their message I thought was pretty consistent John Mara spoke first then Dave Gettleman spoke and I thought it was pretty obvious that both gentlemen know that the talent on this offense needs to improve. They need to add pieces in the offseason, whether it's in free agency or the draft. And that's how this team takes that next step, is to get Daniel Jones some more playmakers on offense. How that happens remains to be seen. Salary cap, et cetera, et cetera. But that's going to be the focus and a lot of what we talk about in this 2021 offseason. Well, it goes back to the numbers, John, and John Mara and Dave Gettleman are well aware of where the Giants finished statistically at 17.5 points per game, 31st in the NFL, and as I referenced on yesterday's Big Blue Kickoff Live, 41 offensive touchdowns in 2019, just 25 in 2020. So once you throw those numbers out, I think they understand what they're dealing with, and then you also take into consideration the fact that Saquon Barkley went down in week number two. So the good news is you hope to get Barkley back to 100% once the 2021 campaign starts. He's an integral piece of the offense. There's a weapon right there. You may be throwing a few pieces in the draft, and you hope that the offensive line continues to make strides. So some of the pieces are already internal. They're here. They need to continue to develop those pieces. But like anything else, and you know, Dave Gettleman, I think, said this line, and it may be considered cliche, John, but I think there's a lot of validity behind it. You can never have enough weapons because, you know, it goes back to what I said earlier. When the Giants entered 2020, if you did the paper test, you would say, okay, you got Saquon Barkley, you have Sterling Shepard, Evan Ingram, Darius Slayton coming off a very impressive rookie year, the veteran Golden Tate. All of those guys, if I were to tell you, are going to be around Daniel Jones and you hope the offensive line makes improvement, I don't think most people would have made the assumption they're going to average 17.5 points per game. However, John, with that being said, Saquon then goes down week two. Sterling Shepard gets hurt in that same game. He's out for a few weeks. Golden Tate had been in and out of the lineup, and Darius Slayton didn't have the same type of production that he had as a rookie. So when you evaluate all of that, you say, yeah, you could have used a little bit more depth or some other guys to step up. And that's where I think the Giants' focus is entering 2021. How do they protect themselves from being able to absorb injuries? And how do they able to get to the point to have some more younger talent step in and immediately make contributions? Uh, the other general, I would say, theme of the conversation with John Mara and Dave Gettleman-Lance is that both were happy with the progress made 
not only from 2019 to 2020, we could talk about that too, but the progress from the start of the 2020 season to the end of the 2020 season. And I think this is something we talked about a lot before the season started, where we talked about goals and expectations this year. And I think one of the things that we tried to focus on was this season would be a success or at least successful in some way. There's obviously levels of that success meter that you can talk about, but you want to, you want this team to be a significantly better team in December than they were in September. And despite the fact they had that rough three game losing streak, they did go five and three and both John Mayer and Dave Gunnell mentioned that in the final half of the year. I think overall, when you look at this team, you could tell that they played a better, more consistent, and fundamentally sound brand of football in the final six games than they did in the first six games. I don't think there's any doubt about that, John. I think the defense specifically came a long way, and that was the strongest unit on this team based on what we just laid out from an offensive standpoint. If you look at where this group started, keep in mind, you add Logan Ryan right before the season starts because of the injury to Xavier McKinney. And even though he's a polished veteran who has some familiarity with Patrick Graham and Joe Judge, he's still surrounded by a lot of new teammates. You're also talking about a team coming into the offseason which didn't have necessarily a premier pass rusher, meaning a guy that had gone out for multiple seasons and had double-digit sacks. Yes, Marcus Golden had 10, but remember, he wasn't with the team for the bulk of the offseason in virtual meetings because his contract status was very much up in the air. So you take all of that into consideration, and then the youth— and inexperience, and all these guys that got valuable reps, where they finished off in terms of getting 40 sacks, 21 takeaways, the numbers, John, are all up across the board from the 2019 defense. Now, granted, there was a lot of personnel changes. You had different coaches. You had a new scheme. So you would expect there to be drastic changes from that standpoint. But the fact that when you evaluate the group at the end of the season and you say, well, this young core a lot of these guys are still on rookie contracts. Logan Ryan just signed an extension. Okay, granted, as Dave Gettleman addressed, it's going to be a challenge in terms of working out a new deal with Leonard Williams and then Dalvin Tomlinson's a free agent. But the group as a whole, in addition to bringing in James Bradbury and Blake Martinez, I think the optimism is you're carrying over a lot into 2021. And John, in a league defined by turnover rate, which is ridiculous compared to any other league where, you know, what you have one year, you can't guarantee the next year. I think the Giants are in pretty good shape from a personnel standpoint that they could say, hey, what we worked with in 2020, we're bringing back in 2021. Not many teams have that luxury. I think that at least is a big positive that the Giants are banking on for next season. One other theme, and Dave Gettleman said this, and John Mara did as well, that they thought that both Joe Judge and Dave Gettleman worked very well together over the course of the year. They didn't absolutely agree on everything, but they were able to come to a consensus and view things in a similar manner, which is one of the one of the reasons where John Maris said he really did not consider making a change at a general manager, and I know that might make some fans upset. I'm sure we'll get some calls about that. Uh, said the there's no defending the record. That was the quote from John Mara when talking about the last three years. And he went back to some mis what he called miscalculations back in 2018. And Dave Gettleman has, by the way, and we've talked about it on the show, Lance, he has talked about how in 2018 he tried to start a rebuild while still trying to compete. And he has in the past said that was a mistake. So they've um, accepted those failures from 2018. But he believes in the last couple years, both Dave and, and Mr. Mara, that things have improved since then. And the personnel part of things are heading in the right direction. We've talked about last offseason a lot with the good job done in free agency. We'll see where this draft class goes, but they've certainly got a lot of playing time in their rookie year, and they've gotten a lot of experience. So those are the reason that they're going to keep the Gettleman-Judge combination together moving forward to try to build on the personnel successes of 2020 and move that into 2021. And just in, in the matter of looking ahead of your lands, Dave Gettleman said, look, it's really hard to, to come up with a plan right now because we don't know what the salary cap's going to be. Is it going to drop $20 million to 175 Is it going to hang steady between 195 and 200 no one knows right now, and that's going to impact how the Giants address their own free agents, how they address you know, contracts on the roster, how they address what they want to do in free agency. So until we know that, how they go about this offseason is going to remain a question mark. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, John, because I mean, just to give our audience an idea, the 2020 salary cap was $198.2 million. 
Now, they don't know the numbers for this season, but NFL.com is reporting at least over the cap, which is a, a very good website that you know helps you, gives you an idea of what rosters look like and what teams are working with, estimates that the 2021 salary cap will be $176 million. So when you do the math, that's a decrease of $22.2 million, or 11.2%. And by the way, that's, 2020. An, and that's an even bigger decrease from a percentage standpoint because the cap generally will go up almost sure. 5 to 10% each year. So instead of it increasing you know 10 million 15 million it's going down 20 so it's if you're if you were planning as a team your cap in the future that's a 30 million dollar difference you could potentially be looking at which is a huge deal 100% well i'll just give you an idea john from 2012 to the current year 2020 meaning the previous season the cap for each club has risen from 120.6 million to 198.2 okay so that's how much it's gone up over the span of about eight or nine years we're talking about. Now we're talking about taking a drop potentially of $22.2 million. That's uncharted territory, John. That yes. hasn't happened. No nope. team has had to deal with that over the last decade. Here's another thing that I think is important to bring up, which creates somewhat of a challenge for the Giants. Now, we're getting ahead of ourselves. We're speculating a little bit. But in fairness, the Giants gave Leonard Williams the franchise tag, and he ultimately played on that. So... That's an option. If you can't work out a long-term deal, you give him the tag again. But here's the thing, John. While the cap goes down, the franchise tag is not determined based on a percentage of the cap. The franchise tag is determined based on a percentage of the top five salaries at each respective position. So the reason I'm bringing that up, John, just think about this. Leonard Williams and any other player, okay, this is big picture perspective. That math is determined on the 2020 salaries, the top five, which was based on a cap of $198.2 million. Now, you're losing potentially $20 million in salary cap space, but... That doesn't take into consideration the fact that the franchise tag is pretty much going up or staying steady. So that makes the mathematics extremely challenging. And that's why Dave Gentleman, even John Mara hinted at this. You know, you have to take those factors into consideration. This is not one of those off seasons where you just all of a sudden have that chart where it just exponentially continues to increase. So those mathematics, when you have guys on rookie contracts, that's extremely valuable. When you have cap space, as we were talking about during our in-between shows between the pressers, when you could roll that over from 2020 to 2021, that's extremely beneficial. And when you have the core of your group already in place, that also can do wonders for you. But this is going to be quite a mathematical equation that every single GM is going to have to operate under. Yeah, and I'll put it in layman's terms, folks. I would imagine never before, and I haven't done the math, but it makes sense based on, on the environment we're in, Lance. This is probably going to be the largest percentage of the cap that a franchise tag has cost. I for think that's players a fair at estimate. a position. Because yeah. to your point, the cap is going down, but the franchise tag is theoretically still going up because it's based on last year's salaries which were still going up based on an increasing salary cap. So uh, while the numbers will look similar, it's actually more expensive because the cap is lower in terms of a percentage of the cap. So just something to keep in mind going forward. A couple other nuggets here, Lance, before we get to the calls at 973-667-1960. And again, I have a call on the line already, so if you're trying to get through it, it's busy. Just keep trying, and we will get you on as quickly as we can. One other note from Dave Gettleman. He was asked about the, the chance of Jason Garrett not being back. Uh, and the question was asked in the context of another team hiring him as a head coach. And his answer was that, yeah, they feel a little antsy at the potential of losing Jason Garrett because they wouldn't theoretically want Daniel Jones to have another offensive coordinator. So uh, while that doesn't you know, answer some of the fan questions as to whether or not Garrett will be back, will be back next year, Joe Judge did not address, address that either in his press conference on Tuesday. It in, at least the indication would be that they would want him back if possible. I think if you read between those lines, they certainly value stability and continuity, yes. which is what we were talking about, John. He actually, Dave Gettleman, built a parallel with the media and said if you had to work with four different editors in the span of four years, it wouldn't be fun. So they're looking at it at the same way. But... They can't realistically answer the question, John, because if Jason Garrett does get a head coaching opportunity, they don't have a crystal ball right sure. now. They don't know, A, would he take it, or B, is somebody going to offer him the job? So I think right now the goal is to maintain 
the continuity of the offense because you don't want to have to have your young quarterback learn yet another offense in as many years. And I've brought this up multiple times, and I know I sound like a broken record. You love Alex Smith. Here it comes. I'm going to bring it up again, John, because you know what? Until history changes and until I see another quarterback operate with as many coordinators, I'm going to continue to bore you with it. There's a reason why it took them so many years in San Francisco. I don't think any team, and I'm just, just talking about the Giants in a bubble here, I don't think any team wants to put their young quarterback who they're hoping is their franchise guy in a position where every single offseason, instead of building upon, John, what you established the previous year, you have to start fresh. You have to start all over again. And you can tell me all you want about how Daniel Jones will have similar personnel. Joe Judge is still here. But all of those guys are going to have to now learn an offense simultaneously again. And anything they built from 2020, just in terms of being on the same page chemistry, you pretty much can't apply that to the following season. So I don't think the Giants are of the mindset. And once again, this is my interpretation and you connecting the dots as well, John, based on what Dave Gettleman said. They're aware of the challenge that that could put their players and their quarterback in. So I think they're going to do everything in their power, assuming Garrett doesn't get a better job opportunity to keep him in place as the OC. Now, there are two caveats there that I'll throw out. Again, Lance and I right now are just are just speaking. We don't have any information or anything like that. All coach, well, Joe Judge picks his coaches, for one. So that, in my imagination, Lance, would ultimately be a Joe Judge decision. And you can also always keep the same offensive system, even if the person running the system changes, too. So those are some things just to keep in mind moving forward uh, when you consider that. Uh, one more thing I want to talk about big picture-wise here, Lance, is just kind of where the franchise is, franchise is and how far away they are. And I mentioned John Maris, quote, no defending the record in terms of how well the team has done the last three years. Dave Gettleman said the same thing. Uh, Dave Gettleman also said, uh, I'm going to fix this. And it is all about winning in the end. And two other quotes from John Mara. Um, Wants to feel next year, this was the quote, we've taken a significant step forward. And he referenced wins, much like Dave Gettleman did. And then he also said, we're far from a finished product, need a lot more pieces, but we are in a better place now than we were at this time last year. And then finally, just to add to what I said at the top, we need to help our offense this season with new players, and that's the priority. So uh, I think they think they're moving in the right direction. Because of the head coach, they like the job he's done this year and how he's dealt with the pandemic and been flexible and done all those things. But they understand that, look, you talk about a a, a three-year window, a three-year process. I think the points that they tried to make is when we've made on this show, and I thought Paul's pounded this a little bit, that 2018 kind of set everyone back a little bit. And I think this weird offseason set things back a little bit too. But now you're getting into year four now, and now it's time to see, and this is what the owner said, take a significant step forward. So I think that's what you're looking to do, and that's where you want to go based on the work you do this offseason in free agency and the draft. Well, and even Dave Gettleman said that too because he was asked about how important is it for the wins to show up now, I believe was how the question was worded. And he said there is urgency, and I'm paraphrasing it, in terms of, hey, sooner rather than later, given the fact of what they've been building through the drafted free agency in 19 and 20. And they do feel good about the pieces that were brought in over the last two years. And even Dave Gettleman emphasized, and I wholeheartedly agree with him, and even if he didn't say this, I would have continued to preach this. You need sometimes three years to truly get a good grasp on what you got out of your draft class. So, you know, even when you look at that 18 draft class, okay, we just finished John, the third season of that 18 draft class. And here's the thing. Even though you just finished the third year, and not to get too bottled down in the details, but, well, we know pretty much who Saquon Barkley is, but Lorenzo Carter, you didn't really have much of a third season out of Lorenzo Carter, unfortunately, because he went down with the Achilles injury. Okay, Will Hernandez was in and out of the lineup, and B.J. Hill has been one of those rotational defensive linemen, and R.J. McIntosh, for the most part, had been a healthy scratch for the bulk of the season. So, unfortunately, a guy like Lorenzo Carter, this would have been a valuable season to see, okay, new scheme, what has Lorenzo Carter shown? Unfortunately, now that gets backed up to 2021 because of the injury. The other thing I wanted to say just to piggyback off of another point you brought up about John Mara and what he's seen in terms of the head coach, I thought it was interesting, John, that he mentioned that he probably sat in more team meetings, John Mara had mentioned, that was interesting. this year. Mm-hmm than he had previously done. And part of that is because of the limitations and, you know, the bubble being created internally by the team and the executives. And he felt that 
what he saw out of the players interacting with the coaching staff firsthand because he was in a lot of these meetings. He thought that the level of engagement was where he wanted it to be, and he thought the coaches really responded to the players and vice versa. So, you know, that was, I think, interesting to hear. Normally, you know, owners, more often than not, they, you know, let their coaches and their players breathe. But this provided for a very unique circumstance. And, you know, he had an up-close-and-personal opportunity to really see firsthand how that relationship was developing and budding. And, and that was interesting to hear him share with the media today. And then finally, both John Mara and Dave Gettleman expressed their confidence in Daniel Jones moving forward. They think he's the guy. He's going to be the guy. So, folks, if you want to call in and complain and say they should go get another quarterback, feel free, do it. But that's going to be our answer. When the head coach, general manager, and owner all say the quarterback on the roster is a guy they have confidence in and he's the quarterback moving forward, that's what we're going to tell you. So call up and, and scream in the empty room all you want, but that's pretty much at this point what it's going to amount to, Lance, because the organization at this point seems to have a lot of confidence in what they've seen from Daniel Jones, and he will be the quarterback in 2021. Well, two things that I'll add to that, John, and these really came from Dave Gettleman responses. Number one, he pointed out that they looked at the Dallas game as a pseudo-playoff game because the Giants needed to win to stay alive, and they liked how he performed. They also liked how he performed in the second half of the season when he cleaned up the ball security issues. The and Ravens game specifically. Yeah, he, he also mentioned the Ravens game specifically that he played well in. Too. Exactly. Mm-hmm. The Ravens game too, despite the fact that they were playing from a deficit, his decision-making and so forth, they thought was where he should be headed. They also are taking into consideration the fact that him getting hurt in the Bengals game limited his mobility in a few of those contests. And by the way, he was asked, Dave Gettleman, whether or not they regret perhaps bringing him back maybe sooner and maybe resting him a few more games, and they don't regret that because of what the medical staff gave them feedback-wise. The other thing that he was asked about was some of the other quarterbacks that were taken in recent drafts, John. And whether or not looking at a Lamar Jackson, a Josh Allen, a Justin Herbert this year gives them second thoughts about what they're seeing out of Daniel Jones or even any other players that perhaps they had an opportunity to take. And Dave Gettleman, I thought, gave a short, sweet, quick response. And he said, there's no hesitation and no doubt that they like the decision they made in terms of bringing in Daniel Jones. And when you look at all of those responses, you analyze all those responses, their plan is they're moving forward with Daniel Jones. They want to give him more talent, John, this offseason. They want to see continued improvement out of the offensive line, meaning they feel they have a foundation with the quarterback. Now the goal is give the quarterback more talent. That's my takeaway from what was said today as opposed to any question marks on the reverse side of things. Right, and by the way, not for nothing, you know, a question like that, I get the question, I do. And as much as you might look at a guy like Herbert and Jackson and, you know, have those questions in Josh Allen, you can also say, I think you feel much better about Daniel Jones today than you feel about Josh Rosen, than you feel about Sam Darnold, than I would argue you feel about Tua. Uh, I would put him and Baker Mayfield probably around the same level at this point, Lance, in terms of what they've done the first couple of years of their career. So, I to me, he's right in the middle of the pack and right there with everyone else that's been drafted, except for, you know, a couple outliers, obviously, over the past few years in terms of the quarterbacks that have been taken and what he's done in the NFL. So, just throwing out there, that that's my two cents. That's nothing John Mara or Dave Gettleman said, but, you know, there's been a lot of hit or misses at quarterback the last three years, as there always is in the NFL. There's no guarantees. There are no guarantees at all. All right, 973-667-1960, 973-667-1960. That's the phone number. Again, we'll leave one line. We have somebody on hold. Uh, we'll get to the calls as they come in. If it's busy, keep trying. We'll get you up as soon as we have an open line. Big Blue Kickoff is presented by the New York Lottery, introducing Money Dots, a new game from the New York Lottery where you play for your chance to win money on the dot please play responsibly all right let's go back to the calls uh or start with the phone calls rather and i believe i did not write it down but i think this is tom in connecticut tom what's going on what's going on john and lance so i just want to take a moment i want to i want to thank uh, uh kevin abrams he, he did a great job structuring the logan ryan deal uh i believe it's seven million and a cap next year you know awesome really really good and and i wish paul was on the line because i'd like to talk about skyscraping receivers right now uh, i know we have we have uh, david sills he's on ir but w- what about the possibility of uh of Corey davis Allen robinson coming in uh you know two big skyscrapers uh, a little bit of speedsters too but uh yeah I, i'd like to get your input on that and also uh before i before i hang up uh dave gettleman you know uh, really resilient. He did a really good job. Uh, you 
appreciate his courage, too. And uh, one more thing, uh, John, go Knicks. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Tom. I appreciate it, man. Good stuff. Um, a couple things, Lance, and this is – and me and I'm sure me, you and Paul are going to battle about this all year, Lance, because I think you're on the same page as I am. I don't really care about a wide receiver's height. I care about a wide receiver being good. <laughs> so I will take a great 6-1 wide receiver over a okay 6-4 receiver any day of the week. Now, if you can hand me Mike Evans, great. I'll be thrilled with that. You know, you hand me a, a guy that has the production and the size of Allen Robinson, that's great. I'll be very happy with that. But if you're sitting there in their draft and you think the best wide receiver on the board is a guy that's 6-1, okay, I don't think anyone was caring that Odell Beckham Jr., again, just talking about on the field stuff now, (laughs) was six feet. They cared that he was an unbelievable playmaker. That's what they cared about. So I'm not necessarily worried about him being, a a, to to quote Paul, a skyscraper wide receiver, Lance. I just want a really good wide receiver that can separate, make contested catches, and make some big plays. That's what I'm worried about. How about this? How about a playmaker at wide receiver? Yeah. How about that? How about that? Because you can't just worry about what you're going to do in the red zone, John. you got to get to the red zone first, right? Because whenever we talk about the skyscraper, we talk about, oh, well, you know, throw a fade into the end zone and see if the guy could go up and catch the football. Well, what about the 40 to 50 yards it takes to get down to the red zone? How about that? How about scoring a 40-yard touchdown instead of worrying about getting into the red zone? Exactly. Then you don't have to worry about operating within the tight parameters in the tight space. So I think that could be addressed no matter who the size of the wide receiver is. I also think that you don't need to worry about free agency per se. I think if you look at the track record of the draft over the last few years, there's been a lot of quality at that position and guys that have come in immediately and have produced who were taken in the first round or the second round. So the wide receiver position can be addressed in the draft. It doesn't have to be in free agency. And, you know, the caller brought up Allen Robinson. Allen Robinson is going to demand a lot of money on the open market, okay? Oh, yeah. And if we're talking about the cap going down $20 million and you want to retain Leonard Williams and you want to retain Dalvin Tomlinson, unless the Giants are printing money and getting all of a sudden leeway in the cap space, how are you then affording another big-time playmaker in free agency at wide receiver? So I, I think you got to be practical from that standpoint. I think the draft is more than suitable to address that area of need. But the Giants want a playmaker. They want a guy that can consistently make plays move the chains. It really doesn't matter how big, how small that player is. It's about them being a consistent option and a weapon. And that's what I think the Giants' focus needs to be. No, I'm with you 100%. And to your point... You look at some of the wide receivers drafted this year, and this is in a weird offseason, by the way, where you didn't have a lot going on to get these receivers ready. Some of these rookie wide receivers had oh, unbelievable years. Justin Jefferson, I think yeah. he set the NFL record, didn't he, for, for, for most ever yards by a rookie wide receiver. Uh, Brandon Ayuk had a really good year. Jerry Judy had a very good year. So just go down the list. These guys, CeeDee Lamb, you know, these, there's a lot of really effective wide receivers this year that were in the rookie class. So, yeah, I'm with you on that. Let's go back to the phones. Caller, you're on the air. What's your name? Where are you calling from? Uh, I'm Patrick from uh, New Jersey. Patrick, what's on your mind today? What do you got? Thanks for calling. Uh, I was just calling about, you know, uh, in terms of Dave Gettleman, uh, his comments in general. Sure. And I think uh, John Mara hit on it as well. They were talking about, you know, the lack of progress and the reason for keeping Dave Gettleman was, you know, the progress towards the end of the year. Uh, I don't know if this is more so a question, just more so a comment just sure. about, you know, no uh, frustrations in the past couple of years being a Giants fan. Because I feel like that that's how we finished the season, you know, last five years or whatever it's been where we start very slow, 0-4, 0-5, whatever it is, and then you finish hot, and we use that as reason to be excited about the next one. Uh, I just, you know, I, I'm feeling a little frustrated. I did feel the, the progress and felt like we did get better, and there were weapons missing, but I didn't, I didn't feel like, you know, the, the excuses were as prevalent this year. Like Sterling Shepard, I felt like I had never seen him as healthy, or Evan Ingram, I had felt I had never seen as healthy out there. And I don't know, I... I, I I, I, I do agree that the wins were, uh, you know, better at the end of the year. It, you felt a lot more optimistic, but I don't know. I want to see that progress at the beginning of the year. I don't want to start so slow, and, I, you know, I, I would just hope that we make the moves to get on top of it instead of playing from behind this year. No, Patrick, I think that's true. Year. I also think this was a unique year, right? You started off yeah. with a new coach, new systems on both sides of the ball, a very young team with no offseason. And all, every team had that situation, too, in one way, shape, or form. I get that. You also started the season with five very difficult games on your schedule. 
against four, I believe, of those first four teams you played, all four of them made the postseason. So, uh, no, three out of four, except for San Francisco. Yeah, but that, you Niners know, didn't. But yeah. 49ers had a million injuries. So, and, and then Dallas, obviously, in, in, in week five, before they had their millions of injuries, which, which really kind of put them in a uh, really tough spot. So, you know, the wins didn't even really come at the end of the year either, which is, which is kind of the tricky part here, right? I mean, yeah. They finished the season one and three in their final four games. So you kind of had that good right. stretch in the middle. Then they finished one and three. But I think what you want to look at is, is the, the the brand of football that they played. And Lance mentioned turnover earlier, but I'm going to use that word in a different way here. For once, the Giants finally protected the ball in the second half of the year. And I think if you look at progress from Daniel Jones, he cut his turnover-worthy plays in half this year with basically the same number of dropbacks. I think that was a huge step in the right direction. And then I think while last year, heading out of last year, you know, you really thought the defense was a almost start from zero, rebuild from scratch almost type of situation. You had nothing on that side of the ball. I think this year you've probably established, pending the return of Leonard Williams and Dalvin Tomlinson, obviously, you know, six to eight guys that you feel really good about excuse me, as starters next year if they return that were on the roster this year. So, And then you throw in the coach who you feel good about too. So I think you put all those things together, more so than the wins and losses, Patrick. I think that when you talk about progress, those are the things that you focus on rather than just looking at the win column. You know what I'm saying? No, I, I agree with you. I, I guess uh, you know if this, if this is, sums it up better, I would say, I forget who asked the question, but when uh, Mara was on the phone, uh, somebody brought up the point, if we had played in another division, do you think that we would have such a positive outlook? That's fair. And I, I wondered that because I, I agree. I felt really good about the end of the year. I really liked Joe Judge and the way that the defense turned around. And I did, I mean, I, I felt like without Barkley, you know, Gallman really stepped up and the offense did really step up. But that question really did make me think, you know, if we had been in another division, do we feel as good? So I, I agree with your points. I just, you know, I guess, I guess, you know, you know, Mara and Gellerman were saying that, you know, the, the point is to win, and, you know, I guess we'd like to see a little bit more of that. Patrick, thanks for the call. Look, we agree with you, and I think, you know, obviously John Mara's listening to the show and taking his talking points from the program, Lance, <laughs> but both him and Dave Gettleman were pretty clear that the fact that they were competing for a division really didn't mean anything to them. And John Mara, this was his quote, by the way, we won six games. We didn't deserve to be in the playoffs. <laughs> if we would have gotten in, we would have taken it. But we sure. didn't deserve to be in at 6-10. and 10. He flat out said that. So I don't think that, you know, jaded their vision on, on how this season went, Lance. Just the fact that they were playing meaningful games in December. Well, because when this team was 1-7, and seven, and even John Mara said he was disappointed, and maybe his philosophy was a little bit different, and then all of a sudden they went on a four-game winning streak. But I think if you look at this season as a whole, the reason why the Giants had meaningful games— after that four-game surge, was simply a product of the status of the division. I mean, let's not be naive. That's the reason why there were meaningful games in a typical season. If you're talking about your team is four and seven, it's highly unlikely that you're entering December 6th with a lot of meaningful games down the stretch because probably somebody in your division has at least eight wins at that point if you look at the rest of the NFL landscape. And I think they understood that. But, you know, pointing to what you were referencing, John, at least this was also my outlook for this team entering the season. It wasn't so much the wins and the losses. It was the makeup of the roster, the individual improvement of specific players, the development of the players, and Joe Judge getting the most out of this roster. And I think that's what John Mara and Dave Gettleman spoke about when I was talking about when Mara was in the meetings and he saw the interaction. You look at also the number of young players that played this season, John, the valuable snaps they got. You know, this season was a year where 53 guys were on the roster, and pretty much all 53 played for at least certain stages of the season. I don't know if I would say that in previous years, and I don't think most teams could you know, put that up in comparison and say that they had the luxury of playing a bulk of the roster. I think that was a big part of Joe Judge's focus. We're not just going to worry about the 22 guys that start every game. We're going to rotate offensive linemen. We're going to bring in some of the young guys who played on special teams. We're going to get them out on the field. That, to me, was a big part of where this team started and where this team finished. And I get it. There's an urgency to put more wins on the table, and that's how anybody's going to be judged. And I agree with the last caller's sentiments that the Giants can't afford, no matter what this roster looks like and the outlook of the team, you can't afford to get off to an 0-5 start no matter what the season is because even with this being a down year, 
And everybody wants to make it out to be, you know, it came down to week 17. It did not come down to week 17. I completely disagree with that outlook. It came down to all those games earlier in the year, which were close, and they were unable to close out. So that's when you start to, yeah, magnify an 0-5 start, and you want to see the team get off to a stronger start. But that all goes back to the unconventional offseason, new coach, new schemes. I don't think it was a surprise this year that this team got off to a slow start, but now year two with everybody hopefully intact, yeah, you would like to see a few of those first five games turn into wins to give yourself a mathematical chance to stay in the thick of things in the middle of the season and towards the latter part of the season. Yeah, and I'll get back to the calls in a second, Lance, but I'll put it this way. And I think the caller made a good point. There aren't, like, built-in excuses this year, at least for me, where, oh, well, this guy was hurt all year. You know, relative to the rest of the division, the Giants were actually pretty healthy this year. I know they lost Saquon Barkley for the year, but I guarantee you the Cowboys would trade Ezekiel Elliott for Dak Prescott and their three starting offensive linemen. <laughs> I think, you know, the Eagles lost Miles Sanders for a long time, and they lost so many of their offensive linemen, too, and their wide receivers, for that matter. A lot of them, yeah. So, and, you know, the Washington— and their tight ends, too, were in and out yeah, of the line. The great yeah. point. Washington was short offensive linemen. They had— instability at quarterback McLaurin Antonio Gibson was out at, at different times during the year so to me I look at this Giants team and while they finished the year five and three to me if you look at all the different metrics this was a six and ten year team right they were basically five and five in close games which is kind of what you look at right close games it's almost a coin toss situation right you're gonna win Eight some points you're gonna lose or less some. by the way just to specify thank you yeah. so one possession games that were five and five so okay that sounds about right Another th- factor I, I like to look at when, when you try to figure out whether a team underachieved or overachieved, net points, your point differential over the year. The Giants were minus 77. Well, you know what that puts you at usually in any given year? Five, six wins. So, you know what? The Giants finished about where they should have based on point differential. And then the third thing you like to look at, Lance, is takeaways and turnovers. Since the Giants went on such a good streak in the second half of the year, they were not out of whack either way high in turnover differential or way low in turnover differential. They were kind of around the middle of the league. They were around even over the course of the year. They finished a bit in the positive column, but it wasn't anything that was well, like, actually, oh, they, they were... finished even right on the nose. Oh, 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 they did yeah. finish even. I'm sorry about that. I, I, I thought yeah. they were slightly positive. So it makes my point even better. Thank you. So they're even <laughs> in turnover ratio, right? So you look at all those three different things, and none of those things indicate um, that this team either really overachieved or they really underachieved over the course of the year. Now, if you want to look at the final eight games and separate that from the first eight and do those machinations, I guess you can. I haven't done that. I like to look at the body of work and the fact that they did lose those three games to good teams at the end of the year. I I think that's in the, you know an indication that maybe their winning streak before that had a little bit more to do with the quality of the team that you're playing than something else necessarily. So the way I look at it, this team was 6-10 and 10 because that's what they are. They're a 6-10 team. Now, that's still an improvement from the four-win team they were last year. And to your point, Lance, it's less about the win total than it is about seeing improvement in the quality of play and the players on the field, and I think we saw that. So I think that's how I view this team heading into the offseason, where you're building from 6-10, and 10, and that's okay. I think I have a pretty good feel for where this team's at. Yeah, once again, it goes back to the individual components of this team more so than the whole part because if you're Joe Judge, you knew you had a young team and you also knew you were implementing new schemes. So did you get to the point by the end of this season where you gave enough players playing time, you saw something out of your quarterback where you could carry that over into whatever this offseason is going to present and that you feel good at the start point of 2021. That, to me, is the questions that if I'm a member of the coaching staff, that's what I'm asking myself. It's not so much, you know, what happened at the beginning of the season and the W's and the L's and this and that. Yeah, you want to make the playoffs, but I think, once again, perspective is needed when you evaluate this team. And, listen, fans who pull for the Giants where I'm sure very excited about meaningful December games. And that's fine. But you also need to take into consideration the reason why those meaningful December games came about was because of, once again, nobody was able to pull away in this division. I think in a typical year, one of these teams would have pulled away and probably built some distance between themselves and the other group where it probably wouldn't even come down to Week 17. Of course. Once again, here's another example, John. If Alex Smith doesn't get hurt with the calf issue, because remember, he was the consistent starter, Washington could have very well beaten Seattle 
or Carolina. And once again, the division may have been wrapped up before Week 17. The point is there were a lot of injuries, a lot of factors outside of the Giants that I think created an environment where everybody was smack up against one another and it made for an exciting finish, which is great from a football perspective. You'll take that. Whether you're a fan of any team, you want meaningful, tight races. But I think through the Giants' lens, it's more about the individuals than the component as a whole. And here's another example of why it's important to be playing consistent start to finish, John. The Bears started off 5-1 and one this season. They made the postseason by the chinny-chin-chin, okay? They went through a stretch where they had lost, I believe, I want to say six or seven straight games. So we were talking about the Bears. Remember, the Bears beat the Giants early in the season. People were like, all right, hey, let's punch the Bears' ticket to the postseason. Yeah, four Chicago and one, may they very start, well win the division. Yeah, they started a four and one, five and one, something like that? I believe it was five yeah, and five one. Five and one, yeah. right? Yeah. And all of a sudden, middle of the season, the wins were not piling up. There have been giant seasons, not to go crazy here. When Tom Coughlin was the head coach, remember they start off six and two, <laughs> and then all of a sudden, right, they finish two and six. Yep. So this is why you can't get caught up in the final four games and the wins or the losses. It's more of how did the team perform? How did the individuals develop? And I saw improvement from the defense from start to finish. You want to see the offense score more. That facet of the team certainly needs to make strides. But I think from where the defense started, from an individual component to where they finished, that I think is promising for 2021. 973-667-1960. 973-667-1960. John Schmelk, Lance Meadow, Big Blue Kickoff Live right here on Giants.com and the Giants mobile app. With you talking Giants football, I want to remind everybody that Big Blue Kickoff Live is presented by the New York Lottery. Introducing Money Dots, a new game from the New York Lottery where you play for your chance to win money on the dot. Please play responsibly. Back to the phones. Call, you're on the air. What's your name? Where are you calling from? Hello? Yes, you're on the air, sir. What's your name? Oh, where are you calling sorry. from? Uh, my name is Elliot from New Jersey. Hey, Elliot, what do you got for us? First of all, I love what you guys do. I love Big Blue Kickoff. I wish I could listen to it more throughout the day, but... Schedule doesn't allow. <laughs> I feel you, man. What do you got? Well, thank you. Uh, I, I got I got three three quick points I want to make. Sure. One, uh, everybody, when you guys are talking about the record and this and that, you could look at it like this: first eight games, one and seven; last eight games, five and three. I mean, that's a big difference from this type of team where they were when they were one and seven. Everybody was ready to throw the throw the towel in, tank the season, get rid of this guy, get rid of that guy. They finished 5-3 and three in the last eight games. Right, but, yeah. uh, but here's the thing, and this is why I, I like to balance things out. A big reason for that, the first eight games, I think, Lance, they were about minus 8 in turnover ratio, and I think in the final eight games, they were about plus 8 in turnover ratio. So yeah. if you want to look for reasons... That's a big reason, and the point we always like to make on this on this on this show, Elliot, is that you can't count on that. So in the end, that evens out, and that's going to affect your win loss record. No, I I, to, I I totally get that. The second point that I want to make is I actually I know a few weeks ago when Bradbury was put down with for uh, COVID or sorry not put down. Uh, <laughs> I know Ronnie, what you mean. Uh, I know what you mean. COVID reserve list. Yeah. Um, I had said for a long time that Julian Love, I thought, was one of the better corners on that team. I love the fact that in this quote-unquote quote meaningful game, they played him at corner with, uh, with Bradbury. And I think right there, you got a strong secondary group with him there. Julian Love was a, was a Jim Thorpe finalist in college. The kid, he's a good athlete. He's got good hands, good ball skills. And I like that combination of Bradbury and Love. Um, and I think it made the secondary uh, – stronger in that game because I, I mean call a spade a spade the Dallas Cowboy wide receiver group that that's a tough group to defend and when they were able to go man to man and blitz they they covered the big plays down the field now and, Elliot I'm and, just telling you right now Julian Love's not a guy you're going to be able to play man to man with consistent on the outside if you're going to no, play off that. coverage and play a heavy zone scheme he can do that because that's what he's good at. He's good at playing off ball, coming downhill, tackling you after you catch the ball, playing the ball in the air. You're right about all those things, 100%. But if you want him to be a corner, you know you don't want him press manning people. He doesn't have the type of speed to play that type of scheme. So I think if you want to play him a corner, he's going to be very scheme dependent. And Julian Love did say in his presser this week that he was basically told he's going to be kind of a jack-of-all-trades player for this team. So if they need him at safety, they'll use him there. If they need him at corner, they'll use him there. So I think you'll see him at a bunch of different spots depending on what the team's needs are. Yeah. Well, listen, I, I get all that. I just I just thought they did a great job in the secondary last year, and I thought that helped them in this game. But my third, no, my third point, 
my third point is really just a question. Where are the Giants with Evan Ingram? Because i, I got to say, from a fan's perspective, first of all, this guy making the Pro Bowl to me is absolutely bizarre, given the amount of drops that he had uh, throughout the course of the year, and some drops in, in critical situations. But uh, is it possible that, we're, that, the, that the Giants within the organization is considering trading him to get a couple more draft picks or get uh, free of cap space or something? Because I'm really tired of this guy dropping balls and in critical moments, missing blocks, um, you know, not making the big plays. He's supposed to be that quote, quote unquote, elite tight end and a Pro Bowler. So. Well, first of all, Elliot, few and that's things, fair. Thank you I mean, for the call. You're not the first caller to weigh in on this subject. I feel like every day we get at least something about Evan Ingram. I sound like a broken record. I'll continue to repeat it, and I think it also relates to the conversation, John. You and I were having about the salary cap earlier in the program. Evan is on a rookie contract. His fifth-year option was picked up. If your cap is going down $20 million, somebody like that with that athleticism, regardless of some of the miscues and the drops, is extremely valuable to have on the roster. You don't get rid of that for the sake of getting rid of it because you get rid of that, then you have to then bring in somebody else to play that position, and that's going to then cost money. Even if it's not a big expenditure, you're still going to have to cost money. So I don't understand the mindset of parting ways with somebody on a rookie contract simply because of the frustration. The other thing that I want to bring up, John— And by the way, Lance, I'll add to that really quickly. That's a guaranteed contract. So if you let him go—remember, that fifth-year option, I believe, is guaranteed except for injury, if I'm not mistaken. That that, That was the new rule passed in the new CBA. And my understanding, I think that applies to Evan, if I'm not mistaken. I can double-check that. But that is then dead money you don't get back. And his rookie fifth year on the tight end is not even a top-10 tight end contract. So to your point, yes, I understand why fans are frustrated, but from a from a team roster, financial management situation, it makes sense to keep him on the roster. 100%. And I'll continue to echo those sentiments regardless of what transpires this offseason. Number two, the Pro Bowl selection— Okay, just so we're clear, you have to look at the NFC tight end landscape this season before people get irritated and stunned by that. There are a lot of injuries on the NFC side. Remember, the Pro Bowl is no longer you pick the four best tight ends and you have a fantasy draft. They go by conference again, okay? So guys like Travis Kelsey and Darren Waller are in the AFC. They don't apply to the NFC. TJ Hawkinson was the number one tight end of the NFC, and he rightfully made the Pro Bowl. Then after that, okay, George Kittle got hurt, missed the bulk of the season. So he's ineligible. Nobody's going to put him on the Pro Bowl. Robert Tanyan had many more touchdowns than Evan Ingram. He had 10. But when you look at Evan's receiving numbers and reception numbers in comparison to other NFC tight ends, he actually was right up there. So you have to look at, once again, context before you react to, I can't believe he made the Pro Bowl. You have some of those years, just like the NFC East had a down year, John. Well, the Pro Bowl NFC tight end group, it was a down year for that group. And when you have a down year, that's going to open the door for players who you didn't expect to make the Pro Bowl, make the Pro Bowl. But whether he made the Pro Bowl or not has no influence in terms of the Giants and the offense and, and so forth. He also, once again, has shown that he can be a productive guy. Evan will be the first one to tell you. He spoke to the media the other day, John. He knows he needs to clean up some of those issues. He'd be the first one to tell you that. But when you take into consideration the contractual value, the fact that he's on a rookie contract, he's still a relatively young player, there is still a lot of reasons to retain a player like that before all of a sudden you're looking to get rid of somebody like that. Big Blue Kickoff Live. Don't remember, folks, it's part of the Giants Podcast Network, which is presented by Investors Bank. Giants fans get a New York Giants checking account from Investors Bank with a Giants-branded debit card, security features, and discounts at the Giants online shop. You can earn up to $250 when you open an account at InvestorsBank.com slash Giants member FDIC. Back to the phones. Call, you're on the air. What's your name? Where are you calling from? Hey, guys. Len from Columbia. Len, what do you got? How you doing? Good. Good. Happy New Year. You too. Same to you. Listen, thank you for your, your, all your help during the season. All four of you guys were just absolutely terrific. Thank you. You did Appreciate a, it. Just, just, just a great job. Um, you know, I, I'm not going to have a chance, uh, but if I did, I wouldn't vote for Jeffrey Lurie and Doug Peterson for the competition committee in the <laughs> NFL. That's fine. Okay. I'm going to be negative. I, I wouldn't have brought Dave back. 15 and 33, 6 and 10. People are searching 
for progress. Hey, Len, do me a favor. Can you turn the volume down on your computer? We can kind of hear our little echo. Okay, yes, yes. Yeah. Sorry, John. No, that's okay. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. I think people are searching for progress. Let me tell you that the only progress I saw, and I'm glad Dave referenced it, really, fourth quarter, uh, oh, not, not fourth quarter, second half with Daniel. Um, I don't think that's the reason why he's going to be the quarterback next year. I think he's just, you know, he's had a okay year. But I thought that, I thought that second half was terrific. And, um, you know, he got that interception, came back from it, disastrous chop block penalty, moved the team along, got those first downs for Gano to kick the field goal. Hey, you know, he moved us forward. I like that. I like that. In terms of progress, that's the only thing I saw, guys. Um, you, you, you can't, uh, I mean, 15 and 33? 6 and 10? Look at, look at the last four games of the season. Okay, we won on Sunday. We won on Sunday. And, and I'm happy about that. Um, you know, I'm not going to anoint Joe Judge either. We had a chance against Arizona to hold on to first place. We had a chance at Cleveland to take over first place. We had a chance in Baltimore to take over first place. And, you know, we did a good job against Dallas. But I, I, I don't think the record, um, you know, I, I just don't think the record's there. I, I, I don't, you know, if you can't, I've been saying this for a couple of years now. If you can't do it in three, you can't do it. You need to go in another direction. Um, I don't know. You guys got any response? Or you well, just within to... the three years, remember, you had multiple coaches within the three years and multiple schemes. So, yes. I mean, if you were to tell me for three years you had the same GM, the same coach, the same schemes, the same roster, yeah, then I think your point is well taken, Len. But you really didn't have that. You had a lot of movement and changes within the three years. Now, in fairness, Lance, those moves were made by the general manager. That sure. Talking no, there's about no doubt too. about it. Mm -hmm. But right. once again... Just like a draft class, a draft class, when I say three years, don't tell me that a guy missed a year and a half. Then I really didn't have three years to evaluate the pick. The point is, context is still important. The individual may have made all the changes, but why were those changes made? What happened? Injuries and so forth. So I don't think it's a clean three years, I guess, and, is my main okay. point. And, and, and Len, 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 real quick, one yeah, more yeah. thing. The other thing I think is important is that you drafted a quarterback in the middle of that period. You know, it's not like you were rolling with a veteran quarterback for three years. You basically started over in year two once you replaced Eli with Daniel Jones. So I think more so than the coaching change for me, when you put a rookie quarterback in, you know, there are exceptions to the rule, obviously, with guys like Lamar and Patrick yeah. Mahomes and stuff like that. I, I get right. all that, and, and right. that's fair. I understand. But once you draft a rookie quarterback— that's kind of indicating a start of a true rebuild, which to the point we made earlier, Dave Gettleman said he tried to you know rebuild and compete at the same time in 2018, which was a mistake. Yeah. And so, look, I'm not making excuses because the record is what it is, and I completely understand where you're coming from, and it's fair, your points. I'm not saying you're wrong at all, but I think when you look at the fact that they drafted that quarterback in year two and that was almost the, the, the start of a true reset, that you're almost looking at more of year two of a process rather than year three, okay, which sounds you, like an excuse, but it's not. Go ahead. All right, let me let me yeah, give me a chance to yeah, respond. Of course, to that. go ahead. And go I ahead. know you got other callers, but mm -hmm. I, I want to respond to that. Is next year part of the rebuild? No. And how about the year? How about the year after that, John? No, next year, year. Len, next year it's go out and win the division. Uh, John, we're, we're reading into that. We're reading into his comment. No, 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 no. I, I mean, I'm saying from point, my perspective, what, from my perspective, next year is go out, win the division. There isn't, oh, it's a new this, a new that, a young coach, blah, 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 blah. No, no, no. Okay. Next year, no, no, no. Win the division. Period. Okay. Mr. Mara asks for patience. What have they done to earn our patience, Sean? No, and that's fair. I for me to that. make this phone call, which I hate to do. I get it. I mean, because David's, I mean, you know, what he's been through, none of us want to go through. And... What's happened to earn my patience as a fan? I mean, what do you tell me um, as a PSL owner? What are you going to give me next year, John? I mean, where, where do we go? I mean, what do you, what do you promise me, flyovers? 
a chance to visit you guys before the game? Hey, look, I don't, I don't think anybody could promise anything, Len, in the NFL. <laughs> I mean, if you haven't seen this league operate, okay? But, Len, I, I, I think the point, though, and, and John, and look, this is the quote from John Mayer. I'm, I'm, I'm going to give you the quote. Yeah. Next, They want to feel next year that we've taken a significant right. step forward, and then he mentioned wins specifically. So, look, John Mara is never going to say, well, we have to win nine games, because then if they don't, he has to do yeah, things yeah. that maybe he doesn't want to do. You, yeah. You get yeah. that. Yeah. So, yeah. to me, next year, the way I read his comments, Lance, and I'm not sure if you read them the same way, is that next year you better be legitimately, and not you know not six wins competing for a playoff spot, you better be like legitimately nine or ten wins right in the mix for a real chance to be a wild card or a division winner next year. Or that is not, if that doesn't happen, I would say that is not a significant step forward. That's how I read that, Lance. I don't know how you read it. Yeah, I think that they want to see the win total increase. They want to be in playoff contention. I think he stopped short of saying those specific things, yes. but that, that's how I would read into it. Just like, you know, thank they you, looked Len. at the win total increasing from 2019 to 2020. Now, that was baby steps, but I think they want to see once again. Now you jump up a few more steps in addition to, you know, the players in the draft that you bring in this year in free agency tackling on top of what you already established here. So, yeah, I mean, you want to be trending upwards. I mean, that's basically the best way to sum it up. And if that's not happening, then they'll have to reevaluate things. And we made the point a lot of the show, Lance, that, you know, the progress this year we were looking for wasn't necessarily in the win-loss column. I think next year, though, when we look for progress, I think that is where we look for progress next year. Well, of course, because once again, I'm operating under... The fact that you figure both coordinators will return. Unless something drastically changes here, you're operating under that, right? You're operating under, okay, now Daniel Jones is going to have another year in that scheme, and he now will be entering year three as an NFL football player. Forget the schemes and so forth. Yep. You're going to get Saquon Barkley back. Maybe Nate Solder returns. Your offensive line, for the most part, will be intact. So, you know, once again, there's much more continuity, John, to go by from 20 to 21 than there was from 19 to 20. So when you take all those factors into consideration, yeah, I think then the outlook would be that this is no longer the low expectations, uncharted waters, unfamiliarity. There's more familiarity in place, and you hope that that registers to win. So I do think the mindset entering next season, barring unbelievable unforeseen changes in circumstances, would be much higher than it was entering this season. All right, let's try to squeeze in another caller, too. We got to get off right at one here. Let's go back to the phones. Caller, you're on the air. What's your name and where are you calling from? Charlie from Portland. I got Charlie. a tag team with uh, Len. Uh, I agree with him. I think uh, the ship of state just hit the iceberg, and we're going to be uh, moving around chairs on the deck. Uh, and and when do you give the arsonist the right to put out the fire? Dave Gettleman was the one who got rid of our playmaker, and now all of a sudden we need a playmaker on our offense. By the way, coincidence. Um, yeah, but Charlie, would Odell yeah. Beckham Jr. been a playmaker for the Giants' offense this year? Yeah, he would have. Uh, on the injured list, he would might not have been injured in New York. You don't know that, John. Well, you don't know that he wouldn't have been either. Well, in, in yeah, fairness, though, Charlie. But see, here's the problem with you're basically taking a piece of the puzzle. You're taking a piece out, and then you're not then explaining or taking into consideration how that then impacts well, the rest of the roster. So, okay, so you don't have oh, – hold on, hold on a minute. You don't have Zeitler. Yeah. You don't have Jabril Peppers. You don't have Dexter Lawrence. Okay, all of those guys you then have to remove from the equation. So maybe the defense is not as good as a result of you still having Odell Beckham. You have to at least take that into consideration. I, no, I do, but we still had Zeitler. Charlie, I, I'm not going to sit here and, and – and I'm not going to sit here and relitigate Beckham, that. please. I, Thank you. I know. I know, I understand that, but what I'm trying to say is, Gettleman is the one who got us into the situation, and Len is totally right. And and even Mara no, 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 said, no, in fairness, no, no, no. This situation was bad when Dave Gettleman showed up. That's why the previous regime was fired. Now you could argue yeah, he yeah. has not pulled yeah. them out of that situation fast That's enough. Right. And I understand I that. That is fair. I cannot argue that. I don't think Dave would argue that. Dave would say he would have expected more progress in his first three years. John Mara said, the quote, I'll read it to you again. Um, there is no defending the record. That is the quote from the owner. Right. So we're not, dis we're, we are not disagreeing with you guys. But the, the, the bigger decision that John Mara has to say, 
What gives this organization the best chance moving forward next year to have the most success? Is it continuing on the path that they're on now with Joe Judge working with Gettleman or making another big change for basically, you know, four years and four years now would be another monumental change that that you're making and then trying to go from there. And he made the calculation that based on right. what Gettleman did in 2020 and to a certain extent 2019 has him confident enough that if they continue doing what they did in the 2020 offseason and 2021, you can make that significant step next year. That's his thought yeah, process. It, yeah, but I know what it's – and he also said – you know, he also said, I might be wrong, and we're going to find out. Well, of course. And he also well, nobody's said got a crystal Gettleman, ball, Charlie. <laughs> no, no, but he also said Gettleman is on a one-year deal. You know, he didn't – you know, he didn't give him, you know, oh, yeah, he's our guy. So it's basically he's giving him one more year to finally get some wins. We've got to win games and be, I think, have to make a playoff. But we got to at least be ten and six or nine and seven. Yes, we can't be six and ten and five and eleven again. I agree. But with this, with the schedule that we have, <laughs> and I don't think he's fixed the offensive line either. I think you know he thinks he has. I don't think he has. But anyway, we'll all see how this all works out, and we got one more year to see it. And I still think Daniel Jones is a mediocre quarterback, and I think we'll find that out next year. Well, Charlie, anyway, thank you for the call, buddy. And thank look, you, guys. I appreciate it. And we're not going to squeeze on another call. We got plenty more shows to squeeze in callers, Lance. I'll just I'll reply to Charlie very quickly. This way, I'll get your take. Then we'll say goodbye. To me, next year is very, very dependent on a couple things. One, the progress of Daniel Jones. Can he take another step? You know, I think his big step from year one to year two was cutting down on the turnovers. And I think that was his big step. There wasn't a big step in production and things of that nature, but he did step, make a step in terms of limiting mistakes. Well, now can he continue to limit mistakes while increasing the production, right? To me, that's the next step for him. And I think Charlie brought up a fair point. I think a huge factor next year is do you see a jump in performance from a young and inexperienced offensive line? Do those guys get better? And I think we saw some progress, especially from Andrew Thomas over the course of the year. Does that continue? There's no guarantee of that. You know how the league goes and how NFL players are. There's no guarantee of progress year to year. But does Shane Lemieux, is he good enough to start in the league? I don't know. Does Will Hernandez, you know, step in and prove he's a really good star in the league? I don't know. Who's the right tackle? Is it Matt Parrott? Is Fleming back? Is it Solder? I don't know. So I still have questions about the offensive line. I think to Dave's point, it's a bunch of smart, tough, Big, strong guys, they have a good attitude, they're smart, they work well together, it gives you hope that they can take that step, but they still actually do have to take that step. So in addition to adding some pieces to that offense, I think how the offensive line improves and how much Daniel Jones improves is going to be a huge factor as to whether this is a 9 or 10 win team next year. Well, you're not going to get 9 wins averaging 17.5 points no, per game you're next not. season, I'll tell you that. And you're not going to get to 9 wins when your quarterback only has 11 touchdown passes. So, you know, those numbers, it goes without saying, have to improve. Three rookies we're talking about, John, that you named on the offensive line. And you can't tell me at the end of 2020 you know what you have out of those three rookies. I mean, two of the guys we've seen some flashes, and one guy pretty much was a main starter in Andrew Thomas. So, yeah, there's certainly question marks there. Nick Gates also just completed his first season as a center. I brought up Nate Solder. Dave Gettleman was asked. They said they haven't had any conversations yet because, granted, the season just ended Sunday. Is he in their plans next season? Is he going to be the right tackle? So, you know, those things right now are all very much up in the air. A lot of movable parts, a lot of movable pieces. And remember, this is also an offensive line, and it's not just against the offensive line. There's quarterback decision-making that goes into sacks. But during the late-season improvement, if you want to say, for Daniel Jones, there was also the Cardinals game and the Ravens game, where he was sacked 14 times, John, in both of those contests. And we're talking about 8-1 in one and 6 in another. We're not talking about a three-sack game and one bad game. We're talking about multiple rough games in terms of the battle in the trenches. So you can't afford to have multiple games like that, too, in order to have your quarterback improve offensively and your overall unit. Still question marks on the offensive side of the ball. That goes back to what John Mara said. Priority number one, address the offense. So until we see what that unit looks like, it's hard to say with 100% certainty that, yeah, they're going to go from 17.5 points to 24 points. No, I wouldn't go that far. I think right now, if you were to ask me once again in summary, 
from an individual standpoint, unit standpoint, I think what the defense started with to where it finished, that to me is the most encouraging aspect. Now the heavy lifting has to occur on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah, and by the way, we didn't even bring this up today because of the press conferences, but it was kind of announced yesterday, but it was widely reported, I guess I'll put it that way, that uh, Patrick Graham's going to be back as defensive coordinator, so that also is a really good sign for defensive continuity, and hopefully they can get a similar performance next year to what they had this year on the defensive side of the ball. Folks, I know we didn't get to all your calls today. I apologize, but we got to run. We got to run, shoot some TV stuff over at the stadium. I have to vacate my lair here and get over to MetLife to uh, shoot some of our inside the film rooms with Sean O'Hara. So I'll head over there, but fear not. If you didn't get in today, that's okay. We have shows every day for the rest of the offseason from 12 to 1. Tomorrow, I believe it is Paul and Fiegel's. And then we're back with you every day at 12. Me, Paul, and Lance will go back to our three-man booth on Friday show. And then we'll carry you the rest of the way pretty much um, all offseason long as we start to get ready for the draft and free agency and continue to recap the Giants 2020 season. Lance, good stuff, my friend. I appreciate it. You got it. Absolutely. I've got to do a little business here before we say goodbye. Giant fans, the New York Giants and Quest Diagnostics want our fans to come back stronger than ever. Now you can order your own lab test through Quest Direct to get the health answers you need most. Big Blue Kickoff Live was brought to you by the New York Lottery, introducing Money Dots, a new game for the New York Lottery, where you play for your chance to win money on the dot. Please play responsibly. Big Blue Kickoff Live is part of the Giants Podcast Network, the archive of which you can find at Giants.com slash podcast, the Giants mobile app, and all of your favorite podcast platforms. And our podcast network is presented by Investors Bank. For Lance Meadow, I'm John Schmelk. We'll see you tomorrow at noon on Giants.com, everybody. Thanks for being with us. Stay safe.